0: Talk a little bit at the 9 a.m. service uh, about um, there's a component to worship that is external, there's a component that's internal, and um, I want to remind us that Scripture reminds us that we are supposed to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, and there is an invisible component to our worship, uh, which means that I'm not able to discern. Uh, that by looking at you this morning, and and yet I trust that uh, as we worship the Lord together, it's something that we do um, out of hearts of gratitude, uh, out of hearts, out of attentive hearts, focusing on uh, the the words and what we're singing um, and not lunch. Uh, Sometimes that's challenging, uh, but Um, that we're worshiping out of hearts that are overflowing from the Lord's grace and His kindness to us throughout the week. We're going to be in the book of Amos uh, today, and this is actually our concluding uh, sermon. We have, uh, this is, today marks the 17th and final message from uh, the book of Amos. And so we began with uh, an introductory message, and last week we finished Uh, the last verse, and now we're going to do kind of a conclusion message of an overview of the whole book. Um, I actually would like to change the sermon title uh, at the very last minute here, Uh, and I would like to title this message, The Gospel According to Amos. And uh, as I was preparing this message today, or for today, one of the things that I was thinking through Um, is in the introductory message, I gave a lot of background information and a lot of the context and uh, what Amos was doing here. And and what I wanted to do today was simply to maybe just put some pegs up, uh, some gospel pegs on the wall that we can kind of hang uh, these doctrines on to recognize that the book of Amos preaches the gospel to us just like the New Testament preaches the gospel to us, uh, and I want us to see these parallels and these connections, and so I'd like to call this, and you guys already got it changed right there on the screen, so thank you, <laughs> the gospel according to Amos. So let's go ahead and begin uh, in a word of prayer. Thank you, God, for your grace to us. We thank you for the fact that you are a compassionate God, that you are slow to anger, that you are forgiving, and that you provide all of these benefits to us uh, through uh, or or without um, diminishing your own character. You maintain your justice in giving mercy, and you demonstrate that at the cross. So we pray now that you might help us as we look at this uh, book together. We pray in Christ's name, amen. I told you in our introductory message to Amos that there were really uh, four statements that you could understand the book of Amos through a framework of sorts. And if you recall, we said that the book of Amos teaches us that God's people here, the Israelites, sin. Uh, God punishes his people for their sin, he calls his people to repentance. And he promises restoration for his people. These were kind of the four main hooks, you could say, that the book of Amos was teaching us. And we also acknowledge that culture changes, nations rise and fall, society changes, language changes. But these four things remain in every culture throughout history. And so I reworded these statements uh, to just see simply how we can... Put this pattern on our own culture we see that people are sinning god is judging people are repenting and god is saving we see these four things going on through the rise and fall of nations and we see these four things going on in the mundane daily events of life and so what i want to do today i thought may be helpful is to simply uh preach through the book of amos um, with these four statements and so Uh, We're not going to read any extensive section of Amos, but we're going to kind of skip around to several different verses throughout this book to help to demonstrate this. And so the outline for today is simply people sin, God judges, people repent, and God saves. And so let's begin with the first bullet point or the first point here, and that is that people sin. Uh, Really not much has changed in this department. Uh, People were sinning in the Days of Amos, people are sinning today. Uh, You may recall specifically where we saw this in Amos, at least where it was at its densest. And that is the first two chapters of Amos. There were uh, six indictments on the nations. And there were two indictments, uh, one for Judah and one for Israel, making a total of eight indictments, indictment upon indictment upon indictment. And out of all of these nations, you may recall that Israel was in the woodshed the longest. Uh, Two primary sins came to the surface that stood out above the rest. This was, uh, we said, unexpected for Israel. Israel would have gladly joined in denouncing the sins of the surrounding nations. And they probably would have even joined in happily denouncing the sins of their sister Judah. And yet, all of a sudden, the tables were turned, and Israel now is in the crosshairs receiving the longest list of indictments. And the two primary sins in all of the indictments and the judgments and the statements, all the two primary sins that came out to the surface was injustice and false worship. Now, I would say that uh, most Christians, if they know anything about the book of Amos, they know this bit about the injustice, okay? There are two very well-known verses from Amos, chapter 5, <clears throat> In verse one is in verse 15, that says, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph, And so the Lord was calling Israel to stop acting uh, out their injustice, but to establish justice in the gate or in the community. We also know another very well-known statement from Amos chapter 5 and verse 24. Uh, Perhaps this is the the most well-known, I would guess, in Amos. And that is Amos 5.24 that says, "...let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream." And this is the, uh, we talked for uh, a while about the injustice and the oppression that Israel was um, enacting upon itself. Uh, They were actually consuming themselves. Uh, The rich were uh, making their wealth on the backs of the poor through injustice, through false balances, false weights, and uh, they were uh, basically uh, trampling over those who were uh, poor. Now, this kind of oppression that was going on in uh, Amos's day is a little bit different from what normally passes today as oppression. And the reason that we know that the oppression going on in Amos's day is different than what usually passes for oppression in uh, the American uh, sphere is that the oppressed in Amos's day were not sitting in an air-conditioned Starbucks, drinking an $8 coffee, attending college at their parents' expense, and tweeting on a $1,000 phone about how oppressed they are, okay? In Amos' day, this involved actual oppression. They were actually being trampled over. Now, there are examples in our modern day of what this would look like. And I have given some of them to you throughout this series. And I'm going to give to you a list of things that I would classify as modern day actual oppression. Of course, one that comes to the top of the list here is the sex trafficking industry as an example of modern day oppression, where people actually are being abused uh, and they are being uh, stolen. This is the sin of man-stealing. And they are being used uh, all across our own country, uh, many times uh, in our own communities, unbeknownst to us. Sex trafficking industry is one example. Uh, The porn industry is another example. And we spent a little bit of time unpacking this earlier in our sermon series through Amos in acknowledging the fact that the porn industry is actually the fuel for the sex trafficking industry. And this has been demonstrated time and time again. And when you are going out on the internet and you are seeking out pornography, you are actually fueling, helping to fuel the sex trafficking industry. The way the internet works is when you click on something that is a vote and the vote says, I want to see more stuff like this. And the more clicks, And the more traffic that the porn websites get, the more that uh, the demand increases and they have to go out and get the quote-unquote material to produce that. And so anyone who is engaged in seeking out pornography has some sort of a hand in helping assist the sex trafficking industry. And so we gave some very strong condemnation of that and said, if you are someone who is wrestling through this particular sin, that you need to get help yesterday in this. We also see that another example of um, oppression today is abortion. Uh, This is an obvious example, but it is one where actual human beings are actually being murdered and are actually dying. Uh, we can also say that rape and murder uh, is an example we also looked at um, uh, the home where you may have a dictator father or a passive father and these are examples where their fathers are not preparing their children uh, for the world and we see all of the fallout from that. we see st- statistic after statistic about the most people in prison, the most people in all of these crimes, and so on and so forth, come from fatherless homes or father-passive homes. And so these are some examples that we saw of actual oppression. Um, One of the things that Amos calls us to do, and he called Israel to do, it was to establish justice in the gate. And it is our heart's desire to see these kinds of things gone in our culture. Uh, many of you, and I want to thank you for this, many of you sent some links I had asked for um, to some different industry or different organizations that are working against uh, sex trafficking. And I think I have around a dozen right now, different organizations that you've given. And we're kind of calling that list, going through that. And I want to hopefully soon commend to you an organization uh, that we could say this is a good one to get behind, um, to to donate or volunteer to help in this regard. This is the first main sin that Amos uh, lists practically on every page of uh, this book, and that is the sin of uh, injustice or of oppression. The second main sin that we said that Amos gave to us was the sin of false worship. And we see this sin given to us, uh, again, page after page, but I want to draw our attention to Amos 4. Specifically, this is the one where the Lord uses sarcasm to uh, explain this particular sin. And so the Lord says in Amos 4, 4 through 5, sarcastically, come to Bethel and transgress. He's inviting them to sin. Come on, come on, come on and sin some more, <laughs> right? To Gilgal and multiply transgression. <laughs> Bring your sacrifice every morning and your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is loving and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord God. We want, and the Lord, he kind of weaves in a, a few different things here in this condemnation. In his sarcasm, He invites them to actually sin come and transgress i invite you you're already doing this so just continue on sarcastically but he also weaves in this sarcasm some uh, good forms of worship come give a sacrifice of thanksgiving that's a good thing you know proclaim these free will offerings and one of the things that we talked about uh, when we saw this passage was that we want, and this, this goes with the theme of what we've already talked about today, we want all of our worship and all of our singing and all of our musical talent to come from the heart. Um, you know, we saw this when we recently went through the book of 1 Corinthians, right? And you know the love chapter in 1 Corinthians. And during those first uh, three verses of 1 Corinthians 13... Paul talks about this, and he says, you can have, you can do all of these great things. You could even go to the ultimate and sacrifice your body to be burned. But if you do it without love, it's, it's nothing. You're like a, a clanging cymbal, a noisy gong. You, you, and We would say the same thing here. This is paralleling what's going on in Amos chapter 4. You could produce all of the best music, and you could sing your heart out, and you you could produce all of these wonderful things but if it doesn't proceed from the heart a heart that loves the lord then what use is it for this reason the people of israel were invited to repent time and time again they they were doing certain kinds of things right externally they they were worshiping the lord in in certain ways externally in in the right way and yet they would go to in fact you remember the one passage where where they basically were saying yeah how much longer is this church service going to go on? I've got to get out and start oppressing people. (laughs) How much longer do I have to sit here before I can get out of here? And so, uh, Amos condemned the people of Israel for the sin of false worship. We might say that worship and morality rise and fall together For this reason, we would say that to establish justice in the gate is to preach the gospel. To establish justice in the gate is to establish Christianity in the gate. Does anybody here know of any way to make people righteous outside of Christ? Is there an alternate path? Is there an alternate way? Could we perhaps go into the community somehow and say, I'm going to set aside all of my Christianity. I'm going to set aside scripture in its entirety, and I'm just going to go preach raw morals to the culture apart from Christ, and that will redeem the culture. There is no way. Jesus says that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And so we acknowledge that when Amos is saying we need to establish justice in the gates, We do that not by sacrificing the truth of God's word as we go into the community. Very practically, what this means is that you can go into our community, you can go to uh, the the lawmakers, you could go to the the mayors in, in, in our surrounding communities, and you can simply say, we need to not do this because thus says the Lord, and we need to do this because thus says the Lord. We can go to the culture with scripture because it is the only source of authority and that's one of the lessons we learned from amos we can confidently and boldly go to the culture and simply declare thus says the lord in fact we must do this people sin that's the first thing we see in amos and we see that Paralleling uh, our own culture. The second thing that we see is that God judges. Uh, And this is continuing on with our gospel message from Amos. We preach, when we preach the gospel, that you are a sinner who deserves God's wrath. We see that theme in Amos. And we see that judgment comes on the heels of human sin. We've seen that there are really no shortage of statements in the book uh, on divine judgment. We see, I will deliver up the city and all that's in it. As a shepherd rescues from the mouth of a lion, two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and part of a bed. We see the Lord saying, I hate, I despise your feasts. To the Lord, with a very specific condemnation to a very specific priest, he says, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city and your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword. We see in chapter eight, verse three, so many dead bodies, they are thrown everywhere. Shortly after this prophecy, we know that Israel was taken into captivity, into the Babylonian captivity, and that these prophecies were all fulfilled. God is serious about divine judgment. And the question is, is there any modern day application or or equivalent to this, does God still judge people? And of course, the answer is yes. And though some may uh, argue or imagine that the New Testament God is categorically different from the Old Testament God, they are one and the same. <clears throat> and as we saw last week, the New Testament and Jesus Christ Himself talks of punishment and judgment for sin. <laughs> The message of salvation that we preach, when we preach the gospel today, we are preaching the gospel as the divinely appointed means to avoid the wrath of God. I mean, right? That when you share the gospel with your neighbors, this is what you share. We are sinners and God is punishing sinners in a place called hell. And you can avert that, you can avoid that through repentance and trust in Christ. There is a component of judgment that we insert into the gospel message that is also present in Amos here. And the question that we have to ask the question is, does God still judge people for their sin? And the answer to that question is, do people still sin? Yes, <laughs> both. God still judges people because they are still sinning. We have not reached some sort of point in church history where God has stopped judging just because we're in the New Testament now. And so I want to give to you a couple of passages from the New Testament where this theme carries over from Amos, where we see the gospel carried over from Amos into the New Testament, Luke 13 and verse 3. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Matthew 13, 41 through 42. That's divine judgment right there. You'll perish. The son of man will send his angels and will, they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them where? Into the fiery furnace. This is judgment. We said this last week that, that the New Testament is not categorically different. There's still judging going on. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, 41. He will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The warning is the same today. Repent or face divine wrath. This is part A of the gospel message. Part A. You're sharing the gospel with someone. Part A is that you are a great sinner facing divine wrath. Now we will get to part B soon enough. okay? But we're in part A right now. And before you can understand part B, you have to understand part A. It's the prerequisite class. You have to understand that you're being saved from something. I wondered as I was uh, studying through Amos, you know, he gives these eight different indictments. You know, if one of the indictments in Amos was written against America, what would he say? Uh, and of course, this is a little bit of speculation here, I would expect that he would say a lot of things that we would agree with. Yeah, amen, yeah, that's, yep. And I would also suspect that there would be some things in that list, that series of indictments where we would say, ah, oh, not sure, oh, I'm not sure about that. I would imagine that we might hear some things like the following, We would hear about negligent or passive parents. We would hear about passive husbands and domineering wives. We would hear about anxious or worrisome wives and lust filled husbands. We would hear about pride and arrogance and narcissism. We would hear about laziness and slothfulness. We would hear about abortion and sexual license, sexual immorality. We would hear about the gender rebellion going on. We would hear about murder and adultery and bitterness and unforgiveness and anger and covetousness and envy and jealousy and selfishness and sexual innuendos, coarse jesting, ungodly entertainment. We might follow up a list like this of indictments against America. With the words of the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3, 6, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Because of these things, God's wrath is coming. And that message, the core of the message, the central part of this message, has not changed since Amos. God's wrath is still coming, and we are called to take refuge from that wrath in a person whose name is Jesus Christ, which brings us to the next important message of Amos, and that is people repent. We are called to repent. Take refuge we must. And we take refuge through repentance and faith in Christ. Now, you might ask the question did we see this aspect of the gospel in the book of Amos? And we would say yes. Where is repentance in Amos? Amos 5 and verse 4, the Lord says, Seek me and live. You know, turn from your wicked ways. In Amos 5 and verse 6, again, seek the Lord and live, lest he break out in fire. Likewise, The New Testament gives to us the same exact pattern. We see in Mark 1 and verse 15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the first message that Jesus Christ preached. It was a message of repentance. Likewise, Peter preaches repentance in Acts two thirty eight, where he says Peter said to them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit we see that the pattern then remains the same The gospel message in the book of Amos requires repentance. The gospel message in the New Testament requires repentance. The gospel message today requires repentance. It must be understood that a person may not have life apart from repentance. Now on this particular topic, the modern man has attempted no small amount of squirmishing in order to get around this humbling and humiliating task of repentance. Sometimes we tend to um, celebrate past repentance uh, while we don't necessarily get too excited about present repentance. Oh, I repented. Oh, I, re- I turned. I- Are you continuing to repent? Are you continuing to be humbled in this regard? it must be remembered that repentance at its core is about restoration of relationship, okay? So let's talk about this repentance on a human-to-human level for a minute. We also have the human-to-divine level, but, but let's talk about this on the human-to-human level for just a moment, okay? We talk of repentance between, say, husbands and wives or between neighbors or between coworkers or relatives or friends or whatever. And so let's say that you get very angry and unjustly angry with your spouse because he or she did something like saying accidentally bumping into you or whatever it might be, okay? And you had a hard day at work, everything's going wrong, and so you lash out in anger saying many harsh and hurtful things, okay? Now, what you have in this particular situation is what we would call a broken relationship, okay? And that relationship needs restoration, The task of repentance is to bring restoration to that broken relationship. You repent, you confess of your wrongdoing, you call it like it is, which is sin, and you ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness is granted, and the relationship is restored, it is healed. Now, all sin, of course, is um, against God. So every time you sin against your spouse, you are sinning against God, every time you sin against any other person you are sinning against God so there's always the human to divine the vertical every time there's a horizontal there's always the vertical sin as well but but repentance looks like specific confession of specific sins that i have specifically committed it does me no good to repent over imaginary sins because if i do that i'm not repenting so i want to I want to unpack this for a minute here and talk about this idea of repentance because I think there's a couple of things that need clarification. There are some people who think they are repenting when they're not actually repenting, okay? Some people might repent, quote unquote, by saying, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. But as one pastor has observed, sin can only be forgiven when the person did mean it. And so if you go to your spouse and you say, I'm sorry that I said those harsh words to you, I didn't mean it, well, what is there to forgive if you didn't mean it? You actually have to say, here's what repentance looks like, I'm sorry that I said those words to you and I did mean it. I actually was sinning. Will you forgive me? Other people might repent, quote unquote, by saying, I'm sorry that you took it that way. Okay? You know what that is. That's not repentance. That's accusation. Right? You're saying, I'm sorry that you're dumb enough to think that. (laughs) Would you forgive me? Wait, (laughs) Let me work that out in my head. Are they apologizing or are they accusing me in their apology? That's an accusation. It's a veiled accusation, but it's an accusation nonetheless. And neither is it repentance to repent over the sins of other people. Say, who repents over the sins of other people? C.S. Lewis calls this the dangers of national repentance. Repenting, as he says, for the sins of the nation. Uh, This would be like a husband repenting to his wife because other husbands abuse their wives. And so the husband repents over abusive husbands. This actually is becoming increasingly popular today to repent over the sins of others, to repent over uh, the sins of uh, men or to repent over the sins of uh uh maybe the church broadly speaking or to to repent over the sins of certain people with certain color skin or whatever you're repenting quote-unquote not over specific sins that you specifically uh committed and having a specific confession of that but you're repenting over something that you never did that's not repentance that's accusation um And by the way, I encourage you to read that chapter. I think it's in Weight of Glory, uh, where the chapter is called The Dangers of National Repentance. Uh, J. Gresham Machen also brings out this same um, tendency that we have to repent over the sins of others. And what he says about this is he says, when you repent over the sins of others like this, he says it obscures the individual personal character of guilt. The convenience, the convenience of repenting over the sins of others is I am now pardoned from repenting over my own sins I don't have to repent over my own sins I can repent over all of your sins (laughs) I'm sorry that men I apologize to you that men have been abusive that's (laughs) there's people that have done that and I'm not diminishing the fact that there are abusive men throughout history and today but I am supposed to repent over what I have done. That's what repentance is. What have you, the question is, what have you done? When you do that, it's very easy to shift away from repenting over what I have done. And now I think, well, what, what do I think? Well, I didn't, I'm sorry that such and such happened. I didn't do that, so I'm good. And there's actually a self-righteousness that's generated in the heart when you repent over the sins of others. And so repentance, we're not supposed to repent by saying, sorry, I didn't mean it. We're not supposed to repent by saying, sorry, you took it that way. We're not supposed to repent by repenting over the sins of others. We're supposed to repent of, we have to have specific confessions of specific sins that I have specifically committed. And by the way, this kind of repentance has to be genuine sorrow over sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10 says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. When I repent, what Paul is saying is there's two kinds of sorrow. There is a worldly sorrow or a worldly grief, which is merely sorrowing over the consequences of sin. And there is a godly grief that is sorrowing over offending a holy God. Those are two categorically different things. And oftentimes we are sorry for the consequences of sin. You know, uh, your children do something wrong and, you know, they're not sorry for hitting their sibling but suddenly when you come to spank them, they're very sorry, <laughs> right? This is kind of what we're talking about here. Um, we see that Hebrews teaches us this with Esau uh, in the passage where he um, you know, gave uh, or he sold his birthright for the, the meat, for the stew. And uh, it says that he sought it, it says he lost the blessing and he sought it, the blessing with tears. And even though he sought it with tears, he didn't get it back. What was, he, what was Esau grieving over? He was not grieving over his sin. He was grieving over the loss of blessing. And that's what Second Corinthians 7 is distinguishing here. Richard Baxter says this about repentance. He says, if a hardened heart be broken, it is not stroking, but striking that must do it. We might substitute the word affirmation for stroking in our own language today. If a heart and heart may be broken, it is not affirmation but striking that must do it. And we are called to repent and to preach repentance to one another and to let go of our stubborn hearts. People sin. God judges. People repent. Praise the Lord for this. And God saves. we look at everything that we have just talked about. And when we look at the book of Amos, we see that if we were to plot out the percentage of statements of judgment and wrath and condemnation, that that would be the the biggest percentage Of statements in amos this has been a little bit of a hard trudge through this book has it not oh we're in judgment again what are we doing today in amos more judgment more condemnation again and again and again and yet we get to the end of the book of amos and we see very surprisingly that there is a ray of hope we recognize that our god is a god that is full of compassion and mercy And grace and forgiveness. And though he would be just to send the whole lot of us to hell, he has made a provision through Christ. And we sing of this every Sunday. We extol the Lord for his great mercy and his kindness. There is a marvelous thing that happens. When a person actually does repent, when a person follows the gospel of Amos, where he says, seek me and live. When a person actually does this, there is a marvelous, uh, wonderful miracle that happens, and that is that God saves to the uttermost. We see that this came out perhaps clearest at the end of amos in amos 9 verses 11 through 12 where he says in that day i will raise up the booth of david that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of edom and all the nations who are called by my name declares the lord who does this we even noticed that in this little sliver of gospel hope in Amos, that the gospel, that the hope of salvation was opened up to all nations. In fact, we saw very specifically that this passage is quoted in the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15 to make that exact precise point. Remember the Jerusalem Council? They were saying, what we got to deal with this problem about Gentiles being saved now. Well, what, what should we do? We should, we should make them become Jews first. They have to be circumcised first. They have to go through these things, and then they can be saved. And what was the what was the declaration from the Jerusalem Council? We believe that we will be saved just like them. <laughs> that salvation is through faith alone. And so, the gospel hope of Amos chapter nine is that the the hope of salvation is made available to all descendants of Adam and Eve. That, That there is no partiality here that any human being, Jew or Gentile or whatever, whatever category, whatever you want to put in front of that, you can be saved through repentance and faith. You can put... Genealogical categories on this, as the Jews were doing, you, you, you could put, well, I'm just too big of a sinner to be saved by the Lord. You seriously think the mercy of Christ is limited in some way, like that, 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 he, that he, I can only save you if you've committed 10 sins a day on average for your life, but if you're at the 12 sin a day average, you're done for What are we talking about? It's the mercy of Christ. The New Testament takes this gospel message and puts it rather succinctly. Romans ten thirteen, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will, not might, be saved. And the same is true today. Where Amos applies to the modern day then is that it teaches us that God saves all who will repent and trust in him. And of course, the application from this is quite simple and straightforward. In the words of Amos, seek me and live. That's the gospel in Amos. Or as the New Testament says, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Or as Jesus says in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, repent and believe on the gospel. The message is the same wherever you go. The point then that we can take away from this is that the Old Testament contains sin, it contains wrath, it contains judgment, it contains mercy. But also that the New Testament contains sin and wrath and judgment and mercy and all of these things. And today people are sinning, God is judging, people are repenting, and God is saving. And one of the many reasons for preaching from the book of Amos, as we have done for these 17 weeks or so is to help us become whole bible christians w-h-o-l-e whole bible christians and to help us realize that god functions in the same way between testaments god is still serious about sin in the new testament and god was giving mercy and forgiveness and salvation in the old testament and that we are to cling to this gospel hope We're to preach this message I wanted to kind of land the plane here with um, some applications from the book as a whole. Um, I thought about putting a slide together with, you know, every application that I preached from the whole book, but that would be very long. Um, so I kind of wanted to summarize, if we could put these in basic categories, what what would we walk away with this book from? And so I have three points of application. The first one is to repent of false worship and establish justice in the gate by seeking the Lord. Now we could fill this out with a lot of ways. Your false worship could be blatant examples of sin. Okay, Your false worship could be hypocrisy and that I'm singing with my mouth, but not from my heart. Um, And so some of those things will need to be filled in there. We are to establish justice in the gates. That is, we are to go to our culture and that we are to advocate for justice, for righteousness. And we are to do both of these things by seeking the Lord. In other words, we're not to uh, get worship correct apart from the Lord. And we're not to get justice correct apart from the Lord. These things are intertwined in ways that we are unable to separate from one another. The second point of application is obvious because we've just been preaching the gospel according to Amos. And so the gospel according to Amos is repent of your sins and trust in Christ as Savior. Or again, if you prefer to use Amos' language, seek the Lord and live. And the final application is instead of diluting the gospel message... Preach the seriousness of sin, wrath, and judgment, along with the depth of divine mercy available in Christ. This is what we were talking about with making us whole Bible Christians. We want to know the whole thing, the whole Bible. We said last week, I think it was last week, that God knows when to pick up the bow and when to hang up the bow, right? And, And the Lord is not just a flattened character that we think can only do one thing. He is a God who has revealed to us his attributes in Scripture. And so the application for us is to be faithful to this message. Um, somewhere around halfway through preaching through this book, we, um, we asked a question and we said, you know, what, what, what is up with... Amos, this shepherd, dresser of figs, what, what is the Lord doing when he just, he picks these absolute nobodies? I mean, at least pick someone who's, you know, got a little bit of education here, you know? And, and, and the Lord has this pattern again and again throughout scripture, is, is he picks... These just absolute nobodies. I mean, John the Baptist. Who who picks that guy to be the forerunner of the Messiah? He eats grasshoppers and honey. He probably smells awful. Why? So why doesn't the Lord pick? I mean. We should be ashamed to have this book of Amos in our Bibles. This is, this is not refined. not culturally refined. This is nothing to, to boast about. This is What in the world is going on here? And you know what we said the Lord is doing here? We, we actually saw it. We, we went to 1 Corinthians a little bit and see how God chooses the foolish thing to confound the wise. One of the things that strikes me about the nobodies that God uses like Amos in Scripture to deliver his message is they just deliver the mail they, they just deliver it they they don't they don't take a red pen they don't submit the message to their uh, PR team first they, they don't filter it through the the popular conventions of the day and, and say we better cross this out and we better fix this and adjust this and do that they just you know, I don't this is just what God gave me i don't I'm just going to tell you this, and I know that I know that uh, what i 'm going to say here maybe on the edge of we ultimately we need to be like Christ, okay, and we need to be careful against saying, "Be like this person, okay because all humans are flawed, but perhaps maybe i 'll say this in the way that Paul said it. Where he said follow me as i follow christ okay if i if i if i stray off the path of following christ don't follow that but follow me as i follow christ i would say in that sense that we are to be like amos that we are to follow amos as he follows the lord It's just i don't know i know this might hurt and, and might sting and might offend and i know that this is a hard truth but it's just what the word says and here's scripture That's the kind of Christians that we want to be. And I hope that that's what we take away from the book of Amos. The Lord knows best what we need to hear. He knows the message that we need to hear best, better than we do. And so simply take the word, don't filter it, and preach the gospel to the world for the sake of Christ. Thank you, God, for this book of Amos. Thank you for the fact that we have been able to spend many weeks here. Help us to learn how to love you more through this book. Help us to understand your character better. Help us to appreciate the riches and the depth of mercy available in the gospel more because we understand how holy you are and how serious you are about sin. I pray, Lord, that you might help us to preach the gospel faithfully, even when it's challenging, and that we would preach the hard truths of Scripture faithfully. We thank you so much for this book. We thank you so much for the truths that it has taught us. We pray that you might encourage us now as we go. In Christ's name, amen.